0: Feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. Phew, happy Mercury retrograde, y'all. I say that because getting this episode up and recorded has been like a struggle but I'm here. I'm glad y'all are here. I'm glad you're bearing with me as I figure out all of the technical difficulties that come with starting a podcast and launching a website. This has been several new moon intentions in the making, and we are headed for another new moon this week. Um, It's actually on my birthday, so expect probably my finally, my big launch announcement perhaps for this podcast. Maybe it might take a few little more refining, a little bit more refining, but let's get right into the episode. So here's a solo episode. It's just me today. I want to open a conversation on resilience because that is kind of at the crux of my career, or at least the way I look at it, that's kind of the ultimate goal in life and in my teachings um, for me. So, I want to open a conversation on what that means to me and kind of how I got there a little bit more um, without just completely repeating what I said in the very first episode. So, if you want to know more about my story, go back and listen to that. But resilience has been a very um, forefront topic for me. So, um, I try to cultivate it in my own life. Um, I hope to help my students and clients cultivate it in their lives. So I say open a conversation on it because, we're going to talk about this a lot and there's so much to say. I think I've been struggling with putting together this episode. This is actually the third time I've tried to sit down and record it um, because there's just so much to say and I can get all over the place with it. So we're just going to start kind of small and slow today. So um, maybe start off by thinking about what resilience means to you Or how you might already cultivate that in your life. Maybe you have some experience with it. Maybe you don't. Um, Just give it some thought for a minute. Um, And then I'll start to explain to you um, what, what I've learned about resilience. And why I think yoga as the whole embodied practice. Not just asana practice. Not just the physical practice of yoga. But like. Practicing the, whole, practicing the whole eight limbs, including um, studying astrology and Ayurveda, is like the perfect framework for cultivating resilience in life and why I think that's even, why I choose resilience as the main goal, right? Um, so first I want to start off by saying, um, if you haven't already listened to the first episode, not the trailer episode that's only like two minutes long, but the, the first episode is like an hour where I talk about my story um, and how I kind of got to this point, why I decided to start this podcast. I'd recommend going and listening to that um, because I'm going to kind of expand on that today. But so just to put it simply, I enjoyed doing yoga um, as a teenager. Then I found I became addicted to opiates. I was an IV drug user for a few years And I found my way back to yoga and after a couple years of bouncing in and out of rehabs and recovery and back into relapsing, I found yoga again and that was always the piece that I credited being the only thing that was different in that kind of uh, run at recovery for me. It was the only piece, it was the only thing that I really did different from the other times I tried to get clean and it stuck. It stuck that time, and so then I made it my business to find out why, and the first stop I kind of came to on that um, journey, on learning about that, was learning about trauma, Um, and so Peter Levine has a whole framework, if you've heard of him, um, I actually, I don't remember exactly how I found out about his work, but it, it resulted in, during my yoga teacher training, I we had to write like a book report um, on any book, any like topic that we chose, and I chose Peter Levine's um, "Waking the Tiger." And so, if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. It is like the most. Um, it came out. I want to say it came out in like the '80s or something. Um, it's it's been around for a while, and it's um, Besser, Bessel van der Kolk's book. The Body Keeps the Score is very popular nowadays, and I recommend that book too. Um, they're very similar in concepts, although The Body Keeps the Score almost like expounds upon Peter Levine's framework and puts it in a yoga um, lens towards the end. Peter Levine's book doesn't talk about um, yoga at all; he never mentions the word yoga once. But I still wrote a book report on it. Book report on it for my Yoga teacher training, they were fine with that. Anyway, um, that was kind of the first stop for me. And that entailed learning a lot about what trauma is, how it manifests, um, et cetera. So I ended up, I read that book, wrote a book report on it, and then I ended up um, through a chain of events. In my When I went back to finish my undergraduate degree, I found this super awesome research advisor uh, kind of by accident. Um, I never thought I would do research. I was more of like a internship work, you know, entrepreneurship work kind of person than a scholarly research kind of person. But serendipitously, I found myself there. So I construct this research project about um, yoga for trauma. And to make a long story short, um, I was preparing to uh carry out that the intervention part of the study I had done this whole like 20 page literature review and proposal and gotten a grant for it and I was preparing to carry out the study last like you know January and the intervention part of it was supposed to happen in the summer you know a lot of planning goes into this stuff and come March it starts to become apparent that you know March of 2020 you all know what happened you were there um it became apparent that I couldn't carry out the actual yoga intervention for trauma. But so I still did the study about yoga for trauma. I still did all the literature review. So I want to tell you about what I learned um, related to what causes trauma and what um, results in resilience. And so that's kind of the idea um, for me cultivating resilience in this in the simplest terms resilient cultivating resilience is a preventative measure and i don't i don't want to use the word cure for trauma but it's like the best way i've found for me in my personal life and so that's why i've made it my business to study how i can convey this to others um it's the best way to Prevent future trauma uh, or future traumatic events from becoming traumatizing. So that's a big um, piece in Peter Levine's framework is that not all um, traumatic events are traumatizing to everybody. Like something that might traumatize one person might not traumatize another. So it's very subjective and that's why it's like some people like to get into comparing like well, so-and-so might have it worse, and that's just not very good because, um, like, maybe so-and-so does have it worse, theoretically, than you, but it doesn't diminish um, your experience and your symptoms and how it um, kind of plays out in your life. So I want to talk about, first, what I mean when I say trauma. I mean um, psychological trauma. but uh, So I'm not talking about, like, you get a, you get a broken arm or something, and you go to the trauma unit at the hospital, that's physical trauma. That's not what I'm talking about. Although physical, like, events that cause physical trauma can themselves be psychologically traumatizing, I'm talking specifically about the psychological piece. So, um, basically, to put it in a nutshell, what we've found, and by we I mean all of the people that have done research on this, including Peter Levine and Bessel van der Kolk, those are some big names, That you would know. Um, There's tons of others. Of people who are making this kind of their life work. Um, But. Is that trauma results in. A deep sense of disconnection. From the body. And. um, That's kind of. The thing is that. The psychological trauma. Results in. People being disconnected. From their emotions. And their sensations. And to put. What I found in my research, very simply, there are big words to describe these things. They're alexithymia and interoception. And, you know, when you do research, you have to use big words to prove to people that, like, you're smart. I don't know. It's just, that's the jargon. How that plays out in real life is that people that have experienced traumatic events, the pieces that lead to having symptoms, you know, because some people experience traumatic events, and they don't develop any negative symptoms that would manifest, like, uh, post-traumatic stress, you know, and we can put the D on that if we want, disorder or not. But for the purposes of my research, and so for the purposes of this conversation, we're just talking about um, symptoms. doesn't have to be a diagnosis. doesn't have to be a PTSD diagnosis. I'm just talking about um, negative symptoms. So, like, everybody's been through something in their life, That has caused them distress. Like, nobody um, has not been through anything distressing. Even if you've had, like, a quote unquote easy life, um, something that's why that's where the subjective piece comes in is because something that might be distressing to you, um, if you've had a quote unquote easy life, might not be distressing to somebody who's had a harder life. But so I think the year 2020 kind of put that really into perspective because it knocked a lot of people off kilter, it knocks like everybody off kilter, really. And some people are just kind of more used to dealing with such things, right? So it might not have been a traumatizing year for some people, but it really was for others. So that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that um, it's really subjective whether traumatic events result in PTS, post-traumatic stress symptoms or not. Um, But when they do... Um, the mediating variable, we call it. And so I should say, like, I haven't actually proven this yet. Um, This is what my study was about, and I'm hoping to be able to go back and redo it um, once it's safe to have a yoga intervention in person because you can't really do research. Research is way too sensitive um, to do... Like I know people are teaching yoga classes over Zoom, but we're not going to do that for this research study. We're just not. Um, so it's just different. Um, so my, but I have done this like whole huge literature review to form the hypothesis that the mediating variable, meaning like the link, the uh, the reason this happens the way it does, the reason um, people experience symptoms. After experiencing some kind of traumatic event, the the variables that lead to their negative symptoms are disconnection from the emotions and disconnection from the body. And so the big words for those is alexithymia. That is a disconnection from the emotions. And interoception is actually the word for connection to the physical body, like the felt sense. It's sometimes called in yoga. Um, I think that was the word that... Peter Levine coined the felt sense, and you know somatic experiencing. Um, that's a Peter Le- Peter Levine thing. Um, so, but in yoga, it's also called like the subtle bodies. Um, so, like the chakras or the koshas. Um, I'll go more into depth about those in a little bit. But um, interest. So, there's interoception and proprioception. And proprioception is like your awareness of your body in space, like. Um, right now I'm sitting on a stool and my legs are crossed and even without looking at my legs, I can know like where they are in space. I have that connection. Um, or also like sometimes when you do yoga in a room that doesn't have a mirror and you can be like, I'm straightening my back now without looking and visually seeing. So that would be called biofeedback, like the mirror you can see in the mirror and you can see that you did what you intended to do with your brain, you know? But sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes we lack that awareness of our body in space. So you can play around with it. You can try it, like your proprioception, your awareness of your body in space. And so that's that's one piece of this body awareness. But what we're really talking about, um, so proprioception is an important part of body awareness. But the more important part when it comes to trauma symptomology is that interoception that is related to... Um, your felt sense. It's almost like your sixth sense in a way. You're like awareness of your internal landscape. And so that's a lot of times what we're trying to um cultivate in yoga. So it's like I I start all my yoga classes this way. And actually I'm going to finish this episode with a um a guided meditation that I think is really good for cultivating um this kind of awareness of body and emotions. So stick around for that. Um, but the, the felt sense, it's like mm, if you can be aware of when something triggers you, quote unquote, like say you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off and it makes you mad and then you become aware of the sensations in your body related to being mad, that is interoception. Like my stomach got tight or my breath quickened, my heart rate quickened. Um, when you be can, can become aware of that and make the connection to how your emotions impact your body and physical sensations, that cultivates resilience. That helps heal from trauma. Okay? So that's what I'm talking about. Those are those things. Um, so there's evidence. Um, so I say all that to say, like, that's my hypothesis. I haven't actually, with my study, proved it yet, but there is all this evidence that that psychologically traumatic events lead to PTS symptoms, regardless of PTSD diagnosis. Um, When people go through distressing things in their lives, they end up having um, symptoms. And so what are those symptoms? It's like um, intrusion, like the Uh, This is just coming from the DSM-5, like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for diagnosing PTSD and, you know, all the other mental things, Um, mental health things is what they use. Um, So, like, intrusion symptoms, like re-experiencing, avoidance, um, and then there's one called Negative Alterations in Cognition and Mood. Um, So that's, like, that can play out in a lot of ways, like, um, I don't know, use your imagination, because we're not actually talking about, like, go to a therapist, get a diagnosis of PTSD, I'm talking about, like, um, just having symptoms in your life, like, this can apply to anybody, especially given the year that we've all just been through, Um, and then the last one is alterations in arousal and reactivity, so, you know, like, being jumpy. Like, if you've been in, say, a car accident before, and now it makes you, like, being in a car just makes you what would be called hyper-aroused. You're, like, on edge, kind of. Um, So I looked at, in my research, the effects of um, body and emotional awareness on that arousal, on that, like... um, so specifically the negative alterations in cognition and mood, like depressive sort of symptoms, and hyperarousal, which can look like anxiety or um, just being jumpy, on edge all the time. So that, those are specifically the things that I looked at. And it can also play out as like chronic pain, autoimmune disease, all these things um, that stressful events, psychological trauma, whether or not a person has a PTSD diagnosis, how those can play out in symptomology. So there's, like, all of this evidence to say, um, like, I cited my sources, y'all. I wrote a 20-page paper about this. It was a huge deal. Um, There's all this evidence proving, you know, and if you've read Peter Levine, you've read Bessel van der Kolk, you know that early childhood trauma... um, can cause these symptoms to pers- persist into adulthood. And then, like, when those events happen in early childhood, it's less responsive to the, like, the symptoms are less responsive to the traditional treatments, which are, like, talk therapy. Um, and they have all these tools that they use in talk therapy that are great. And I'm not saying this is, like, instead of talk therapy. I'm saying this is, like, something that needs to be used in addition to... Um. So, like, of course, medical disclaimer, maybe I should have said this earlier, like, I'm not here trying to diagnose you just because I'm bringing up the DSM doesn't mean you can listen to this and be like, oh, Rose diagnosed me because that's not what I'm doing. Um, I'm just telling you how this stuff plays out and how we've seen in the research. Um, so if, you, if it does resonate with you, maybe, you know, like, see a therapist, um, even if you don't have insurance. There's all these kind of ways I've heard of, like online telehealth membership programs that are like forty five dollars a month. I don't know, Google it. Um, so, anyway, on that tangent. Um, so, so then the the biggest piece that I found, maybe because I was looking for this, um, is that because people that have experienced psychological trauma have higher instances of physical health problems. And the way that is proven in the research is they quantify, like, sick days, um, number of doctor visits, and um, things like that. Um, And then there's also these physical health symptom questionnaires. I used a couple of them in my research that just quantify, like, you know, do your ears hurt, do your eyes hurt? Does your back hurt? Like, all this stuff, you know, it's like 50 questions, a little quick, like, you know, tick, how much you agree with this statement or not type thing. And you can quantify all of that. You can quantify and prove that people that have experienced um, psychologically traumatic events have worse physical health outcomes. Um, And then, so there's all this other research that proves, like, trauma type predicts the symptom severity, so if there's some element of, like, betrayal, like, you know, if you witness some, like, bad event happen to a stranger, um, that can be traumatizing, right, but it tends, like, people tend to have worse symptoms when they, when it's, like, portrayed by somebody they know well, right, Um, and so we started to look at the role of emotional awareness and body awareness in um, symptom severity. And then so in... um, That would be like if we can prove that a lack of those things of emotional and body awareness uh, worsens symptom severity, right? It makes, makes your symptoms worse. Then we can prove that increasing those things um, will lessen your symptoms right so so that's that was the idea of my research project um in the simplest terms you know of course I had to use all this jargon I'm actually using my um my presentation my final presentation that I had to do to present my research um I'm like using the slides as my notes to talk about this um and I'm trying to make it as least jargony as possible um because I know like I don't know I just want I think this stuff is applicable to everybody whether you've been through some kind of like horrible event in your life or not like I mean we all just survived the year 2020 so no matter like kind of what else you have going on in life that was a stressor you know everything happening over the past year are, like, major stressors. Um, and so it kind of, like, uprooted us all. And so the idea is to cultivate resilience, um, which uh, I always, like, so my my whole, like, thesis statement, I guess, of my life, you know, of this research project and my um, life is that Cultivating body awareness, which is like what we're doing by practicing yoga, right, um, can help people, um, you know, myself included, kind of access in the body how where that trauma is stored. And it took me a long time to really understand what that meant. Like when, um, like, say, Nikki Myers of Y12SR says the issues live in the tissues, I was like you know, where, you know, everybody always talks about like hip openers, making them cry or whatever. And I just, I wanted to understand that more. I was like, why? Like how, how do we know, or can we prove that like childhood trauma is stored in your glute medius? I don't know. Or in your piriformis, like the muscles of your butt, who knows? Like, can we prove that? And it's like, I still haven't come to an answer there. And you know, I have all these books, like Um, that I'm, I'm reading them actually for my yoga therapy training. So a couple I can recommend are Louise Hayes. Um, I think it's, you can heal your mind. It's like all these affirmations. Um, I don't, that might not be the right title, but it's Louise Hay. And she has all these affirmations and it's like related to, um, like, if you have a hamstring problem it's probably like something going on with your dad or what and i'm like ha like how do people like figure that out i don't know um i still haven't come to that answer so i'm only trying to speak on what i know and i'm telling you that i'm like still searching myself for those answers but like from where i'm at right now i don't think it really matters so much um like where exactly your like your 2020 is stored in your body But what I'm telling you is that um, practicing body awareness um, is the way to find out for yourself. I don't think, at least right now, I'm not that interested. I mean, I am interested in it because I read the books. Another one is Deb Shapiro's um, uh, Your Body Speaks Your Mind. And so that talks about, like, different you know, things stored in, like, different areas of the body, and I'm reading, so I'm reading that book for my yoga therapy training, too, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around, um, how they kind of come up with these, like, why my hamstrings are related to my dad, I don't know, that's just one that I remember, um, out of Louise Hayes' book, um, so for me, it's, like, Maybe I'll get there in learning that, but I'm also, like, so I'm interested in it, but I'm also, like, at least at this point in my studies and what has helped me is, like, it doesn't matter, actually, if there's a framework that works for everybody because the idea is cultivating that body and emotional awareness for yourself. It's something that, like, nobody can give to you or tell to you or take away from you. Um, You can't buy it. You can't, like... Uh, read it out of a book, right? Like, you just have to experience it for yourself, um, that body and emotional awareness. And so that's, like, we get into, like, traditional treatments for trauma are, like, uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So both of those words, like, cognitive, that's, like, your thoughts, behavior, that's your behavior, right? So it's, like, for my understanding, which I don't have a degree in this or anything, um, but for my understanding... It's, like, how do your thoughts influence your behavior? And so if you can influence your thoughts, you can influence your behavior. And there's, there's like, a lot of truth to that, right? But um, there's this notion that, like, until you make your body kind of believe that, your mind is going to keep playing out the same patterns over and over again. Um, and so my example with that is, like, So yoga has helped me, right, tremendously. That's why I'm even, like, here doing what I'm doing um, is because yoga was, like, kind of the piece that helped me break the cycle, the pattern of my addiction and my chronic relapse and all of this stuff. Like, I kept relapsing even after, like, a year clean, you know, whatever. Like, a year in rehab, all this stuff. Um, I kept relapsing and I find my way back to yoga and I was, like, really into power yoga like power vinyasa yoga and I still am uh not quite as much as I used to be I practice lots of other styles and stuff now but then it was that was like all that I practiced and come to find out that trauma-informed yoga is like um it doesn't lend itself that well to power yoga but it can be done like I still teach my vinyasa style classes through a trauma-informed lens but at the crux of trauma-informed yoga is this notion of body awareness, of course, like we're talking about. And I'm not trying to say that power yoga doesn't cultivate body awareness for people because I definitely think it does. But it also um, rides very much on using invitational language. Um, And the main thing is you never know what is going to trigger someone. Like I was saying, it's very, very subjective. So trauma-informed yoga lends itself better to practices that are more slow and gentle with lots of options and modifications so that, um, and like you never know what music might trigger someone and power yoga also often goes to like, fun uh like pop music and so it's just all these reasons you never know what's going to trigger someone so as a yoga teacher there's like whole trainings on how to teach trauma informed yoga i'm not really here like i'm already um this episode's already getting kind of long i'm not really going to unpack that too much further um like i said there's infinite stuff to talk about related to trauma and resilience but um I just want to point out that um, trauma is so subjective. You don't know what might be triggering to one person, might not at all be triggering, triggering to another. And there's nothing, I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with power yoga because that was like what I was doing that helped me break the cycle of addiction. So, um, but I just, with it in mind that things that might seem benign can totally be triggering. But, so, for example, um, this is my best example of this. And unless you're, like, in recovery, you might not be able to relate so much. But um, when you do cocaine, uh, it creates this, like, ringing in your ears that is sometimes called the freight train. Um, And so, I was in my yoga teacher training once on one weekend and it was like there's this super awesome kundalini teacher there named sierra hollister she's i guess like a little bit yoga famous like she teaches on yoga and international and stuff but she also teaches at Asheville yoga center so she's like one of the lead teachers there in their 200 hour program or at least she was um when i was doing my training and she's this awesome kundalini teacher and she had like just gotten this super epic gong and it was so epic. I mean, super cool. Right. But so I'm in this yoga teacher training. It's like one of the weekends and we had just done a practice. And at the end of the practice, she was going to give us like a sound healing and right. Like they call them sound healings. And it was like a gong bath is actually what she called it. But I have also heard these gong baths called sound healings. Um, so it's like the vibrations anyway. So I'm laying, we've done just done this like epic yoga practice. Felt great, lay down into meditation, and she starts playing the gong. And it started making this like whoop, whoop, whoop noise. And it sounded just like the freight train. And I, you know, five minutes into a meditation, after an hour long yoga practice, I was like super relaxed. I freaked out, freaked out. But I didn't move, maybe mu- or much, you know, like I didn't like break my shavasana. But my internal landscape was like, holy shit, I'm going to die. It, I was immediately back in that place, like, thinking I was going to overdose on cocaine. Um, and uh, and that was like, so I had already at that point kind of studied a little bit about, like, the trauma response and how, like, when you get into, um, like, when something triggers you like something reminds you it's like that shell shock, right? Like when you when somebody who's been in a combat zone hears fireworks, it gives them shell shock. It takes them back, right? I was taken back to the place where I was not safe, the place where I felt like I might die, right? And um but I had already studied this so I knew what to do. I knew I was like, okay, I notice what happened. I notice what sensations it brought up in my body, this, like, tight, you know, stomach flip. Um, It's sometimes called, like, you know, um, my breath quickened, my heart rate quickened, Um, my muscles got tense, even even though I was laying in shavasana. Um, And so I noticed all those things. I noticed what happened and how it played out in my body. And then I told myself over and over until I relaxed that I'm safe now. And, um, that was, that's like it right there. That's, that's how you transform your triggers. So it used to be like, I would get like tinnitus, um, like the ringing in my ear, if my ear would ever ring, it would trigger me. Like every time I could be at work and it would trigger me. Um, and my ear would start ringing. And so now like my ear still starts ringing sometimes, which is like, you know, maybe I should go to the doctor and figure that out. I don't know. But, um, it doesn't it doesn't cause those physical sensations in my body anymore because I made that connection to what happened, how it played out. I used my breath and my tools to calm myself and to convince my mind that that trigger no longer means I'm unsafe, right? So that's it. That's the, that's like how it works. There's a lot of, um, neuroscience behind this too. Like, so that gets into the SNS and the PNS, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system this is what i'm like always teaching about in my classes um your sympathetic nervous system is your what's called fight or flight and some people call it fight flight freeze faint fornicate or feed those are all the additions i've heard onto the fight or flight nervous system so how that plays out is like um, when something triggers you, right? Like I heard this gong, it's this beautiful gong noise. And I've been to sound healing since, and I love them. Um, if you've never had a sound bath or a gong bath, I highly recommend it, you know? And if you're in the position that I'm in that like the ringing, the, the vibrations might trigger you, maybe this story will help. And you can like kind of release that trigger a little bit, but like, um, When something triggers you, it puts you back into that fight-or-flight mode that you had to be in when you were unsafe. Like, when that original sensation or stimulus happens, um, your body knows you're unsafe. And so you go into fight-or-flight mode. This is, like, what Peter Levine talks about. You either fight, flight, or freeze, right? Um, Like, some animals have this, like, fainting response where they play dead, um, and some humans do that too. They're like, when I was in this position, I just froze. So I feel like it's my fault because I just froze. But that's like part of the response, right? Um, and then so I heard another psychologist talk about adding on fornicate or feed to it. So it's like when you get triggered, you, it plays out as like um, some other kind of addiction. Like to 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 deal with the trigger, you either get... Um, you either run away from it, avoidance, right, or you fight it, you get combative, combative or you faint, you don't deal with it, um, or you it manifests as some kind of, like, feed or fornicate, like sex addiction or food addiction or, like, substance addiction, right? So these are things that your body does to try and deal with a threat when you get into that sympathetic nervous system mode, um, and so... With yoga, you know, you might have heard yoga teachers say before that, like, we're trying to get into the parasympathetic nervous system or they'll say, like, child's pose activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's like, maybe it does if you're actually relaxing it. Maybe you're not relaxing it. Um, But so I always tell my students, you extend – this is, like, the most basic thing that I've learned from all of my training, my degree, all this stuff, is you extend your exhales. And my mom used to tell me this when I was little. It was like a, it's like an intuitive thing. Like when I was crying when I was little to get me to like you know that <laughs> kind of breathing when you're crying, um, my mom would be like blow. And and she would mim- she would do what she wanted me to do. She would say blow, right? And she would just blow out for a long time. And that would get me – what what was that effectively doing? It was making me extend my exhales. And now I don't know if my mom, like, knew the science behind that. Maybe she did. She's super smart. Um, but that – when I look back on it now, I'm like, I'm going to keep that one for my kid because that's what you're doing. You're extending your exhales. And that um, – so your sympathetic nervous system, when it gets turned on, it's like adrenaline and acetylcholine. Um release and they like trigger your heart rate to quicken and all these other uh, things of like your your nervous system kicking on so that it directs blood flow and oxygen away from your your organs like your digestive tract to your muscles because it's like I'm getting ready to have to either run or fight so my skeletal muscles need uh, a little extra help so I'm gonna direct my resources away from the rest and digest, which is what also the parasympathetic nervous system is called, um, can direct energy. You know the body's resources, blood flow carries oxygen and nutrients to wherever it's going. So it's going to restrict the blood flow to the organs and send it to the muscles. And so that can that's why a lot of times people have like digestive issues um, when they get stuck in this fight or flight mode, like high stress jobs, high blood pressure. That's how that plays out, right? So this is why I'm saying this is like relevant to everybody. You don't have to have been through some like super traumatic childhood or whatever, you know, even just last year was enough to put a lot of us into that fight or flight mode because it's uncertain we don't know we can't like rest as easily um without knowing, you know, all the stuff going on in the world. It's just a thing. Um and this collective anxiety, whether you're aware of how it affects you or not, it probably does. Um, so, the PSNS, the parasympathetic nervous system, is the rest and digest. And so, to get it doesn't actually um, extending your exhales doesn't actually like release any hormones, but it tr- it triggers your body to stop sending the hormones that put you in the fight or flight mode. The um, the acetylcholine and the adrenaline, uh, norepinephrine, adrenaline. Um, so it, it slows that down. So extending your exhales is how you're going to slow your breathing rate, which is like you extend your exhales and your inhales extend by default, right? But we're, the focus is on the exhales and there's several pranayam breathing practices in yoga that, that do this, um, that extend the exhales. So, um, I could get more into, that's why I'm like, I've already been rambling for like 40 minutes, so, and I have more stuff on my notes to talk about, so I think I'll end up doing another episode about kind of the, the neuroscience related to this, and this time we'll just keep it in the realm of, um, we'll just talk about the two nervous system responses and how that, um, plays out, right? And so getting into the solution now. So that's why I say I want to also say like I I say my little tagline for this show is um, keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. And I say frequently just the stay in the light part because the signs of light. And I want to be very clear that I understand toxic positivity And I think this is not that. You know, I'm acknowledging that stressful stuff is going on all the time, but we have to try to stay in the solution, right? Like, so for me, this is, like, extra poignant as a person in recovery. I know that I can tend towards um, depression. I can tend towards, like, depressive symptoms. Um, And if I don't, as it's often said in the recovery world – stay in the solution or stay in the light, I will, um, unpack and live there. You know, of course I have to let my negative emotions and negative sensations or like, you know, um, like everybody has different value judgments on what's negative and positive. So like whatever manifests as negative for me, what doesn't feel good in my mind and body I have to experience it and acknowledge it and get in touch with what these emotions bring up in my body, right? I have to get in touch with my emotional awareness and my body awareness and how those two things are related. And really the link there is the breath. This is like what I teach in every single one of my yoga classes. The breath is the link between the mind and body. And you have to cultivate an awareness of these things. But for me, I can't unpack and live there. I have to get back in the solution, right? I have to stay in the solution. I have to constantly be staying in the light, working towards what feels good, because if not, I'll just get way too stuck in the negative. So that's what I mean when I say that. I'll probably like say that again, explain it some more sometime because I want to be really clear. I actually think I'm going to do a whole episode about toxic positivity and what that even means and positive psychology and how the two are different. And But that's kind of what I'm getting at. If you're already familiar with those terms, positive psychology versus toxic positivity, um, I'll do a whole episode about it if you're not sure, but... Um, yeah, I have to stay in what makes me more resilient. I have to stay in the light. I have to stay in the solution. Um, or else I'll unpack and live in the hard stuff, the trauma, right? Um, so that's kind of what I mean. Um, yeah, so what, it, what does that look like, right? What does staying in the solution look like? Um, it looks like cultivating proprioception, Awareness of the body in space. It looks like cultivating interoception, um, awareness of the sensations. Right, like, um, and kind of where that. It's like an awareness of like, um, you know, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, um, how that relates to the. Emotions, especially like my little story about the gong thing, about how that like, um, it was like a stimulus. It was an external stimulus that caused an emotional and physical response in my body. And I had to kind of re- reverse that by directing my brain as well as my body. I used my breath to calm that. Uh, sympathetic nervous system response and also a thought in my head to rewire that samskara that pattern, that neural pathway I'll do another episode on samskaras too don't you worry, that's a huge thing Um, Nikki Myers teaches about it a lot if you want to learn more right now before I do an episode, you can look into it Um, it's kind of the yoga philosophy equivalent to neural pathways um, but it, it has more, of course, like, um, you know, you can be in a rut or in a groove. Sometimes a groove becomes a rut. Sometimes behaviors that were once adaptive become maladaptive. Um, but practice makes pathways, right? Pract- doing something a lot of times makes a neural pathway. So you have to, like, the same is true in the reverse. Like, you have to, if you want to make a new neural pathway, a new samskara, you have to notice your pattern, and consciously choose something different like I did, right? Noticing how an external stimulus when I encountered it um, affected my mind and body and then using those resources to rewire how those things affected me in my daily life. Um, so then we also know, right, like there are all these studies that show um, That, for example, focused breathing is associated with improved emotional regulation and sympathetic nervous system functioning. Um, And we know that meditation reduces anxiety and depression. That's, like, true. Like, we generally accept that to be proven fact nowadays, right? Um, And that the physical benefits of yoga include, like, decreased muscle tension and pain, um... And all this other stuff, like we know this to be true, but my research task was I wanted to prove why. I wanted to help add to the growing body of literature that proves why yoga works so well for things like hyperarousal and intrusion symptoms. And my hypothesis is that it's that body and emotional awareness, like that's the what we call in the research world, the mediating variable, what causes, you know. Um, it's like that. that's what you're doing. That's, you know, there's a correlation and there's causation, and mediating variables is like we're trying to prove causation rather than just correlation. Like we know, based on existing research and literature, that, um, that, that yoga does reduce physical health complaints. You probably know that intuitively in your life. Like, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, like you've at least done yoga like once in your life before. Probably, maybe not. If not, then try it because it's what everybody says about it. So there must be something to it that it just makes life better, right? Um, and so, so yeah, that's kind of the idea is that that mind body and connection increasing emotional and sensate awareness leads to a decrease in um, negative symptoms from trauma or a.k.a. resilience. So resilience is sometimes defined as like your keep on keeping on muscle. Um, My mother-in-law calls it your figure-it-out gene. Where it's, like, even in the face of adversity and, you know, triggers or whatever, you, like, figure it out. Um, So, and this is something that can be cultivated, right? And if you have been through, like, traumatic events or stressors that cause um, these negative symptoms in your life, um, negative manifestations... So that's what like I'm trying to unpack that like trauma's like a buzzword these days, I guess. And I'm trying like I will probably be over this podcast over lots of episodes trying to unpack more um of what that means, of of what it actually means in like a practical sense, um you know, trauma. And I hope I hope that this episode like has already elucidated that a little bit for y'all um and um. Yeah, so the idea is that yoga means union, right? It facilitates the mind-body connection and to borrow the phrase of an organization I used to volunteer for pre-pandemic, uh Light of Path, connection creates resilience. Um so that's the idea is cultivating that that's that's really what yoga became about to me. Like you see those memes that are like, um, yoga is not about getting your head to your toes. It's about getting your head out of your ass or whatever things like that. Um, it's it's not about touching your toes. It's about what you learn on the way down or whatever. You know those memes that say things like that. Um, that's it. That really became true for me because I used to like. Um, I've also heard it said, come for the crazy shapes and stay for the mental health. Because I, I started out, you know, wanting to put my body in contortionist poses, or what I sometimes call party trick poses. Um, and that's fun. That's like, you know, as long as you're not injuring yourself, as long as you're doing it in a way that is good for the longevity of your body, your long term health, um, then that's a great thing to do. But um of course we always have to investigate whether we're practicing or performing. That's another quote from one of the teachers at my first yoga teacher training and I just it stuck with me. I think that was um Kim Kim Perrier. I don't even know how to say her last name. Perrier? Perrier? I don't know. Um she said, you know, you always want to know if you're practicing or performing and that's in relation to, like, your Instagram posts as well as, like, as if you teach um, your, your personal practice. Are you, like, anyway, tangent aside, um, that yoga practice, for me, with all of this in mind, became more about cultivating that mind-body awareness so that I can then discern for myself whether my practice is becoming performative or is it serving... Um, that connection with my higher self, which is the idea, um, right? And in in a practical sense, because Lord knows that's what I'm here to make this about, is the practical sense is your connection with your higher self. Maybe that looks a little bit more like um, not being constantly caught up in a stream of Emotions. Um, I actually just heard it described today. Like mental health is um, like living paycheck to paycheck. Dealing with mental illness is like living paycheck to paycheck with your brain. Like, so we want to bank some um, some mental health, right? That's the idea, so that we're not living paycheck to paycheck with our wellness. Um, so, with all that said, I hope that helps. Wow, I really, like really rambled. Um, I hope that helps kind of elucidate um what a little bit about what I know about how why yoga is like a good um tool for resilience. Um maybe I didn't even describe resilience that well. I don't know. I hope I did. But with all that said, I'm going to tack on A guided meditation to the end after a little interlude. Um, Then we'll get into the guided meditation and stick around for that. Um, I'll try to put the time that that starts in the show notes in case you want to come back to it. Or who knows, maybe I'll even like make a YouTube video of it and start doing that. I don't know. Um, But I'll tack a guided meditation on to the end. If you want to connect with me, have any questions about any of this, I am like so open to that. I would love to hear from you. Um, find me on Instagram or Facebook yogiscopes is the tagline both those places as well as yogiscopes.com y-o-g-i-s-c-o-p-e-s and you can find of course on my website you can find all the ways to get in touch with me you can send me an email you can book a reading or you can find out more about me and the other things I do now remember to always keep your feet on the ground your head in the stars and stay in the light And stick around for our guided meditation. I'll talk to you soon. I recommend laying down for this meditation. Or if you prefer to remain seated, just make sure whatever position you're in that your spine can be fully straight and you can find complete relaxation. First, notice the quality of your breath and the imprint that your day thus far has had on your breath. So maybe you've just been listening to this hour-long episode and your breath is smooth and even, or maybe you've been driving and traffic has gotten you riled up or you have some stress going on in your life and your breath is choppy and labored or just Otherwise, uneven. Just notice the quality, no right or wrong answers. We're only trying to guide awareness. And then start to, after you've noticed the imprint of your day on your breath, start to lengthen your exhales. So use your abdominal muscles to squeeze your belly button to your spine. Empty out all the old stale air to create space for a nice, long, smooth inhale. And continue to lengthen your exhales, thereby creating space to lengthen your inhales until you've reached your comfortable maximum breath. You don't want to feel like you're gripping at either end of your inhale or your exhale. Just your comfortable maximum. And if your mind starts to wander to anything that is not here in this moment, in this room with you, come back to that long, smooth, even breath, accomplished by extending your exhales. And then I'd like you to turn your awareness to your sensations. First, noticing your base. And so if you're laying down, this is most of the backside of your body or if you're seated it might be your your seat and kind of the sides of your legs maybe if you're sitting in sukhasana just notice any point of contact with the support below you and check in with that place and ask yourself if you feel grounded there's no right or wrong answers but if you do or you don't feel grounded, ask, your, ask yourself what sensations are letting you know one way or another. Sensations, thoughts, feelings, otherwise. And if you don't feel grounded, is there anything you can adjust mentally, physically, or otherwise so that you do? Groundedness to me feels like a heaviness through the bones and a lightness through the flesh. So on your next exhale, maybe you can release anything that's preventing you from feeling those sensations of groundedness. And next, turn your awareness to your center, whatever that is for you. Maybe it's your belly or your, even your pelvis or your heart space or even your head or your hands or anything, whatever feels like your center in this moment could change from moment to moment again no right or wrong answers just awareness and then send your breath there inhaling and exhaling into your center and ask yourself if you feel centered in this moment and if you do or if you don't what sensations or thoughts or feelings are letting you know that you feel centered next inhale, inhale up that grounding energy from your base and exhale from your center next turn your awareness to your other sensations, maybe your sense of sound the sound of my voice and the ambient background music any other sounds that might be going on around you in the space that you're in maybe with your even if your eyes are closed in this meditation you can sense the light and the dark spaces around you you can kind of sense even if your eyes are closed you can sense where the windows are where the shadows are and really tune into how you can orient yourself with your sensations orient yourself to your surroundings with all of your sensations your sight even with your eyes closed your felt sense your sound your smell maybe you even tune into the sensations of temperature on different parts of your body where the clothes are where they aren't the sensations of the air moving across your nose across your upper lip as you breathe in and out maybe you can sense as you inhale the air is nice and cool and you exhale warm air and quickly again turning the awareness back to the breath then back to your base back to your center and to your other sensations orienting you to the space around you. These are your greatest resources in times of stress. Feel free to lay here in Shavasana, practicing your comfortable maximum breath for as long as you like. Thank you for joining me.